Mighty God, we thank you for your goodness, your greatness, that we have already begun to see God this morning. Father, it is you who we have gathered to worship this morning, to praise, to declare your excellencies, so that our hearts may be built up and grounded in what you have done for us in Christ, and that we may be mobilized to take this glory to the ends of the earth. Father Lord, we recognize we are not the only church that is gathered this morning to worship and to delight in you. So Father, as is our uh, habit, Lord, we want to pray for other local churches in the area and other churches in which we are in partnership with. This morning we want to pray for our sister church, uh, Lord, in, in Marshall Creek Baptist Church and their pastor, Matt Robbins. Father, as Matt handles your word this morning, Father, we pray for that you would give him clarity where that you would speak through him to build up the church there. Father, that you would be honored and glorified there. Father, Lord, we, we recognize that we are better together as sister churches, partnering together, laboring for the same thing that we are opposing and separate. So, Lord, we just thank you for this sister church. We thank you for our brother Matt and Lord, even knowing uh, the family ties there in our church. So, Father, we especially ask that you continue to be with him and with uh, him to with his sheep. The sheep that you have entrusted to you. Father, we ask this uh, for your honor and glory. Father, we also want to pray for uh, Cody Boko uh, Camp and Isio Day Community Church in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Father, this is a, a local church, uh, as you know from our, our NAM Association. Father, so we pray for this church plant, Lord, that uh, you will build your church there in. Uh, Roeville, Pennsylvania, or that you would use Kobe to, to be faithful to equip the saints there, that you would help them to uh, get the gospel out there in Roeville. Father, so that many who have yet to hear the gospel may come to hear. Father, save many. Do a mighty work there. Father, we also want to pray for those around the world. We thank you for IME missionaries who are serving around the world. Lord, even in the midst of the pandemic, how you have continued to mobilize and use them in different spots. Some going out new to new locations, some having to transition from one area to another. Father, Lord, we pray in particular this morning for the new workers that are uh, starting out and, and transitioning to Bangkok, Thailand. Father, we pray, Lord, for uh, these workers as they go out, Lord, that they would establish relationships with believers already there. And Father, Lord, that they would be faithful to share the gospel in a place that desperately needs it. Father, we pray for those in Bangkok, Thailand, who uh, trust in Buddhism and, and many cultural things, Lord, to come to see that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to you apart from you. So, Father, will you prepare many hearts to receive the gospel, prepare this team to labor faithfully as they go, be with them, and Lord, may your Lord go forward. And Father, Lord, we just want to pray uh, this morning also for uh, our church members and fill us in prayer. Father, Lord, we pray for where he is. He has not been feeling well uh, continually over the last few weeks. So we just pray right now, Lord, together that you would be with him, strengthen him, care for his body, Lord, as we know he is in pain. Father, be with Phyllis. Give her strength and energy to care for her. Lord, and help them to rest comfort in you, knowing that they are in your hands, and that you are the sovereign God over it all, that you are with them, and you will not forsake them. 
to comfort our dear brother and sister. Father, we also pray for that you would be present with us this morning as we open up your word. May you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, so that we may hear from your word. May it go forth, may it shape and rattle us, even as the word went forth in Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones, calling to life that which was dead, bringing signers in, giving birth. Father, may your word go forth and move us and build us and shape us this morning. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. So, 2020 was an election year. We probably got tired of hearing this message is brought to you and approved by dot dot dot. And unfortunately, it's already coming up again as things rear up for election season 2022 uh, and the uh, um, other elections that will take place in that. We're going to hear it again. This message is approved to you and brought by dot dot dot. It's the most annoying thing to hear in those in the political seasons. It fills TV time, it fills newspaper uh, articles, it fills everything you see, signs, and all you hear is that. And while that message and that approval is annoying, this morning I want to talk to us about a different kind of approval. A message approved by God for how we're to live our lives. That's where we're going to turn in. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in verses 1 through 12. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, whether it's uh, your own personal or, or the Bible in the pew in front of you, go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Uh, we, we pick right back off where we've left off. We've been studying for the last two months uh, this wonderful book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes at times feels like a very morbid book, talking lots about death. Lots about the evil that is under the sun. But this morning we begin to come to the conclusion of Ecclesiastes. We begin to see the more and more the point of Ecclesiastes. See that God has something much greater in the midst of this needing for us to wake up and see death as our, our end. There's something more even past that. And therefore, how do we live in light of that truth? How do we live in light of that hope? So God has approved things for us to do, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, last Sunday, uh, in, in chapter 8, we, we realized, though, that uh, all that God is doing under the sun, that we keep grasp, that is mankind. And then a few weeks ago, back to chapter 6, we, we saw this question. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? We come to begin to answer that question this morning. And we'll finish it next week. So, so who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? So here the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 1 through verse 12. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise of their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man is not known. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, 
and he who swears as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead mind. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your many life that he has given under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil that which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared in an evil time when it falls upon them. I want to make a quick note before I go into even the main point. You'll see here, uh, it, it, most of the Bibles have this broken up in some different sections. The, the section headings that are in your Bible don't really mean a whole lot. These are, are not inspirational. They're not in the original text. They're not in the Hebrew Bible. They're not... Uh, found even in the Greek New Testament. These headings are, are man's ways to try and sum up. Sometimes they get them right, sometimes they get them wrong. Uh, I think the NIV may actually have this one correct. If, if you're using an ESV, an NASB, or something different, you may have different section headings and breaks here. Uh, but I think this is important for us, even as we read the Bible. Sometimes the, the section headings and even the chapter breaks are in the wrong spot. So this morning, like if you've got an ESV like me, I, I've got the section break after verse 10 before going to 11. I share this again to help us and understand that these are, are there to help guide us, but they're not uh, inspired. They're, they're not there in the original. So they don't shape exactly how the message is flowing. They're, they're meant to try and help, but sometimes they get in the way. And that's what we see here. We see a, a thought line going here from verses 1 through verse 12. And that's what we've broken it up this or why I've broken it up this way this morning. But all that to say, let's get to, to the main idea of this text. I've understood and studied and wrestled with this rightly. Here's the main idea. Our lives are not in our own hands, but in God's. Therefore, let us enjoy God by enjoying what he has given us. Our lives are not in our own hands, but in God's. Therefore, let us enjoy God by enjoying all that he has given us. We're going to look at this in three points this morning. Point number one, our lives are in the hand of God. Point number two, our lives are full of uncertainty. 
And point number three, our lives are meant to be enjoyed. Let's look at point number one. Our lives are in the hand of God. The preacher King ended last week there at the end of verse 8 talking about uh, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. He, he reminded us there in, in 8.17 of this truth that man cannot find out the work of God. So we can't grasp the fullness of this work. And yet, Solomon, the, the creature king, continues to serve. Search what is seen under the sun. What can I observe? I can't observe everything, but what can I make sense of it all? So there in verse 1, he, he starts, That all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Solomon begins to wrestle with this understanding and laying it to heart uh, in, in the fact that all of this is before God. All of this lays before him. He even says there in verse 1 that it, it's how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. So he recognizes this, but look what he goes on to say in verse 2. So, so he sees they're in the hand of God, but then he's troubled. It says there in verse 2, it is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns and open. Solomon's troubled. He, he's troubled because here he's saying, wait, the, the righteous, the good are in the hand of God, but now we see all of this happens to all. It happens to those in these two camps that he describes. There, there in verse 2, it seems like there's a, a list of four sets of comparisons. The reality is these sets are forming to shape two different camps. Notice how it lays it out. It lays out the good or the righteous in, in the first comparison. It says, uh, the same events happens to the righteous to the good, to the clean, to him who sacrifices. All of these are, are making up the first hand, those that are in the hand of God that he, he's talking about. Then the other hand he's comparing this to it is the second half of each of these comparisons, the wicked, the evil, the unclean, and the one who does not sacrifice. Let me make a note on, on this sacrifices, because we talked that just a few weeks ago Solomon told us to be careful as we made oaths to not do them in haste. This is still true. Solomon is not contradicting himself here. He's not trying to say, wait, I told you to be careful, but now you need to give sacrifices. The point is, though, that when we come to follow God, there's some sacrifice that is called for as we come to him because it it's inevitably flows out of our love for God. Namely, as Christians, in this call to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is the sacrifice that we, as New Testament, uh, or as Christians in the New Covenant, are called to. We're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This, above all, is the sacrifice we are all called to in our discipleship. 
But again, Solomon's comparing these two camps. This is what he's doing. He's comparing here the camp of the good, the camp of the bad. And as he's doing so, he's noticing, wait a minute, hold on. Why is the same happening for all both? The same events, the same end. The end, of course, being that of death. But even as we think through this past year, or two years almost, it seems going on, as we think about a pandemic, as we think about other diseases such as cancer, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, there's no distinction displayed on the good of women. The same happens to them all. They all experience that. The same with natural disasters, whether a tornado comes through or, or floods or uh, wildfires, hurricanes, earthquakes, all of these. It does not distinguish between the good and the wicked. The same thing affects the whole of the community. Now, it won't affect everyone the same because one part of town may be affected, the other not. But in that neighborhood, it affects. It, it may affect the house of, of a believer and not the house of, of an unbeliever. And then down the road, the opposite happens. The same event happens also. Solomon's struggling. He says, wait a minute. To, to be in the hand of God, what does that mean? Is it, it, it a, a thing of God's love being shown or a thing of God's hate? This is the question that he begins to recognize. It's a question he struggles with. And it's a question many in our world are asking themselves. Maybe even some of you are struggling with. How can the same events happen and there be good? How can the same events happen for the wicked and, and the good? The same envy for all, and yet we say that God is good. This is a real question we will struggle with. And we need to get this right, if nothing else, for our discipleship and evangelism. Because as we go and share the gospel, people will have these type of objections and questions. But it will also shipwreck faith within the church. We need to wrestle with these and see what all is going on. So what is going on? Well, look with me at verse 3. says, This is an evil bed in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. So let me pause right there. Solomon recognizes this is an evil under the sun, the S-U-N. He recognizes that for the righteous and the wicked to have the same fate is an evil. That this should not be the case. But it's, it's what we see as we look in the world around us. Each of us has been touched in some way, shape, or form by death. coming even for those who we love who are Christ followers. And we see the same for those who did not know Christ. Who rejected him. So how is this the end? So he wrestles with this. As he does so, and as he asks this question, he begins to wonder, is this love right? So we need to ask ourselves, do we, do we struggle with this? Do we struggle? Is this love or is this hate by God? And again, it's not wrong to ask this question. We need to do. And yet there's one thing that should shape this even further. Not how is this the case in the sense of, of this judgment 
of, of death being the end. But why is it the case? Why is it the same end? Well, that's what the rest of verse 3 goes on to say. Look with me there, back in verse 3. It says, also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Let me repeat that. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Why is it the same fate happens? Because of verse 3. All the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. This phrase, children of man, describes not just children 17 and under in our our minutes. This is referring to us as the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. If you've never watched the line mentioned in the wardrobe or any of the Chronicles of Narnia, this language is used throughout it. It, it feels its son and of Adam, daughter of Eve. This is the type of language. We all are children of man. We are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman created. And when they sinned in the garden, when they took of that forbidden tree, sin entered the world. It entered the world not just for them, but every one of us who was born hereafter. That sin, we, we were conceived in sin, as we know from Psalm 51. This is the great evil that has come and brought this curse of death under the sun. So it's easy for us to look and say, is it love or hate? to be in the hand of God when death is the final end, when these things happen, and yet we fail to see the basic answer. It's because of sin. Not just somebody else's, but our own sin, that we have all rebelled against the Holy God, that we all turned from His ways, that we've not walked in them. Do we realize that it is right for death to be the end for all of us? It would actually be right for God to not spare no one of us. He would be just and right in not sparing no one of us in this room, let alone in the entire history of the world. That would be just and right. And yet, and yet it's not. That's not what he's done. Despite this wickedness, despite this sin, God has loved us by pursuing us from the very beginning. In the moments of Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden, he gave them the promise of hope there in Genesis 3.15, saying that I will send the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. The first glimmer of hope is found there in the midst of the fall. And ever since, God has been pursuing the people for himself. He started in Adam, or in Abraham and his family line, pursuing after them, calling this family to himself. Here is my law. Follow me. When Abraham's family went into Egypt and, and they became slaves, despite their questioning and doubting of God, God rescued them, calling them out of the land of Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness into the land filled with promise, filled with milk. God pursued this people. And yet even then, after they forgot him and rejected him, he continued to pursue them 
through that of the prophets. And even after they rejected the prophets, he continued to pursue through his own son. He would come and die, living a righteous life, and yet dying the death of the sinner of our wrongdoing. All to rescue us. What love is this? To be in the hand of God is a good and safe thing for those that will see our desperate need in Christ. Ecclesiastes here is answering the, the million dollar question of why do things happen? Or evil things happen to good people? Why do does this happen? Because there's no good. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So there is not something evil that happens to a good person because we are not naturally good in and of ourselves. And yet, and yet again, God pursues. He loves us by his own son coming to die on the cross for us. Brothers and sisters, as we wrestle with this question, as, as those around us ask this question as we do evangelism, we can say, yeah, while the same fate may be for all, guess what? God loved us even as we deserve death. But notice what it means to also be in the hand of God. So not only has he pursued us and loved us, let me read three passages of scripture from the Psalms of what it means to be in the hand of God. Psalm 48.10 says, As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth, your right hand, your right hand is filled with righteousness. In Psalm 95.7, For he is our God, and we are the people of his passion, and the sheep of his his hand is filled with righteousness, and, and the sheep of his hand is what those who are in the hand of God are. Psalm 31 5 goes on to add, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faith, God. Brings redemption, rescue from the faithful God. This is what it means to be in the hand of God for the good and righteous, namely those who turn and place their faith in Jesus. And who is of those who are of the faith of Jesus? Those who have called on his name, who have rested in him for their salvation. For salvation is by grace and grace alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God. This salvation is being extended for all people, whether here in this room or who we will go and declare this message to. Friends, does not matter how far we stray. This invitation is standing open. It's standing open for all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is standing open for the most broken person in your neighborhood. It is standing for the most broken person in this city and around the world. This invitation, this gospel message is extended forward. If this is the love that God has shown Take it, receive it, but also then for us who know it, let us not sit here idle and not go declaring it. Because there comes a warning as well. To be in the hands of God is one thing if you've come to trust in Christ, and yet it's a great warning for those that have not. 
in Hebrews 10, there, there's several places in Hebrews 10 that call us to hold fast to the confidence of our hope. Uh, then charges immediately that the importance of assembling ourselves together and, and stir one another up to help us hold to this confession. That's the context. But then this verse comes in Hebrews 10 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So while hope is brought, comfort is brought to those who are in the hands of God who are righteous and made righteous by Christ, it's a fearful thing for those that reject Christ. It is a fearful thing because they fall into the hands of a holy and just God, the one who in his hand is righteousness. Because he's righteous, because he's holy, sacrifice, blood, death is due for all that reject him, all that sin against him. That's the end of those that reject Christ. Don't delay whether believing, if you're, if you're on the fence of belief, and don't let us delay in taking this good news, because this is what awaits those who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. They're going to fall in the hands of the living God, and will face his judgment and his wrath. So while the same thing comes to all within this life, under the sun, the S-U-N, it's not the case under the sun, the S-O-N, because the righteous will be told, come, enter into my kingdom. The wicked will be told, depart from you workers of inequity and lawlessness. And the only way in is through that faith in Christ. Brothers and sisters who are in Christ, see what we have in Jesus and rest in it. Let that fill us with a deep love of God. Let it fill us with assurance and comfort that we are in the hands of this God. Yes, the same fate may come for us all. Death will come. It's going to be the final blow for all of us in this life. We get to depart and to be with Christ. And that is for that. If we could all just say, like Paul in Philippians 121, it is better to depart and be with Christ. The same does not hold under the sun. Yes, only. Therefore, let us see this in the midst of our struggle to grasp what is going on. Let us hold to this. One other thing we need to see is the, the urgency of this again. So not only do they fall in the hands of God, in Luke 16, a similar story takes place as what we see here in verses 4 through 6. So, so listen with me as I read verses 4 through 6. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. The living is, has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead one. 
keep in mind we're, we're reading from a, a book that was written in the Middle East. You know, where, where Jesus lived, where, where Israel was, it's part of the Middle East, and this culture of all, Israel included, hates dogs. I know we have many dog lovers in our congregation who love your little dogs, but, but in, in this culture, they cannot stand the thought of having a dog in a house. I mean, even on their streets, they, they don't like it. It is kind of comical to watch, actually, if you've ever spent any time in, in this region of the world. They, they do not like them. They will go stay on the other side of the street. They don't want to be anywhere near these. A lion, on the other hand, is considered and seen as powerful, the king of the jungle, the representation of the king, even in, in the tribe of Judah, and what was promised to him from long ago, for Jacob, the lion of Judah, someone of conquering and strength. But notice what it says again, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living have hope, while the dead do not. The dead are dead. There's no memory. Of, the memory of them is forgotten. It says their love and their hate and their envy have already perished forever. They have no more share in all that is done under the sun. They're, they're dead. They're, there's no opportunity for anything to change. The living, on the other hand, have a chance to turn to hope. The living have a chance. Turn to that hope, to see that hope and recognize. And this is where Luke 16 comes in, and the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had everything in his life. Lazarus was a sore beggar who was uh, given nothing. He sat wishing for things. Both died. The rich man goes to Hades, and Lazarus is seated with Abraham in the heavens. The rich man looks up to heaven and sees Abraham. Father Abraham and Lazarus, and, and ask, just come and send Lazarus just to, to dip his hand in water and touch the tip of my tongue because of the torment here. No, that cannot happen. No one can cross from the, uh, heaven into heaven. Then the rich man pleads, just send him back to my brothers, to my father's house, so that they can hear and turn. Again, no. If they cannot believe the prophets and what was given to them, how are they going to believe if one comes back from the dead? The living have it better because there's hope. There's hope to turn from their sin. There's hope to hold on to that sin. But the moment of death brings a finality. Only either depart to be with Christ or pass into the fires of hell for all This is what's at stake. For our own hearts and for many around us. Let us wake up and share the gospel. Let's be faithful to share. Let us see that God has pursued us in love. And to be in His hand is a good thing for those that will turn and humble themselves and place their faith in Jesus. So let us hold to that. Let us be comfortable with that. Because we need that, especially as we move to point two and see that our lives are full of uncertainty. Death is certain. Our lives are full of uncertainty. Drop down with me to verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, 
Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. Notice the, what's being said here. The race is not the swift. Any of you have been watching the Olympics? It's the fastest time that wins the race, whether in the pool or on the track. The fastest time wins. Not when it comes to life. The race is not to the swift. If you've ever watched Olympic wrestling or, or battles, who wins? Strong. Nope, the battle to the strong doesn't guarantee. The bread to the wise, the wise find ways to, to have income, to be creative and, and care for themselves. But yet, the bread of the wise is not what determines. The riches to the intelligent or, or the favor to those with knowledge. None of these matter when it comes to the end and discerning it. This is the time and chance happen to them all. There's no guarantee in the life that we have. There's no guarantee in the time we have. As I said a few weeks ago with the men, as we were looking at the book of James and, and addressing the fact of, of the uncertainty, I told the group of men, with which most of I am much younger than, who knows whether I might be the first of this group to die. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. Uncertainty fills our lives in the day to day. It's full of uncertainties, and there's nothing we can do to change it. There's nothing we can do. We like to think we're in control, and we're not. We can do all that we can to expand or to lengthen the days of our lives. We can eat healthy, we can exercise. We can invest wisely so that we can, uh, in our later days, rest and take care of our bodies. And yet, none of this is guaranteed. Phil Reichen, in his or commentary, says this. He says, death is the great level. No matter who we are or how well we live, our time on earth will end in death. The universal will obliterate. In the words of one bumper sticker, eat well, stay fit, and die anyway. Seriously, the, the most fit person in here could be the first to go. One, one of the things I looked forward to when I was getting ready to go to university was meeting the great Reggie White. Reggie White was uh, an All-American defensive tackle for the University of Tennessee. He played for the Green Bay Packers. And Reggie had a, a testimony of faith. I thought, you know what, I'm going to get to meet this great legend of Tennessee. 42 years old, or 43, he died the day after Christmas because of sleep apnea. Here, an athlete who took well care of his body, his life was gone. Again, this is the evil that struggles under the sun. And this is why we have to hold fast to remember whose hands we are in. Because things will come our way. Never know what the next doctor's visit we're going to go to. We find out us or our loved one has been diagnosed with a deadly cancer or other deadly disease. We never know what may come. We never know what disaster may be lurking 
just from natural causes. Events of our lives are uncertain. But the one thing we are called to rest in is not the uncertainty, but the fact whose hand we are in. The hand of God. He has us. He has the whole world in his hands. And this is what we're being invited to trust in, to hope in, to find comfort in, even in the midst of uncertainty. So while Ecclesiastes may seem grim, the whole point is to show us that, that our lives, yes, they're, they're vain, they're futile, they're, they're a vapor, they're here today and gone tomorrow. And yet over and over again, it's inviting us to see God, to fear Him, to trust Him deeper. Let us trust Him. Let us hold fast again. I, I've done this example a few times, but here, here's what is being asked of us in faith. It's not just, oh, okay, most of my weight's on my feet. I'm very lean on. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of faith many of us hold to. We, we want to just hold on enough to, to get into heaven. This is the kind of faith we're meant to do, where all my weight begins to shift on this piano, trusting in it. How are we leaning on Christ? How are we trusting in Him? What's your faith in? Is it in trying to figure out the uncertainty? Is it trying to have control? Or is it resting in the one who has all control, all authority? Rest in Him. This is what we are called to do. There's one other thing we're called to do. We're called to rest in God in the midst of the uncertainty. But we're also called to enjoy our lives. And that's where we turn in our final point this morning. Our lives are meant to be enjoyed. Look at verse 7. It says, Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Now, let me give what this is not saying. This is not saying God has approved us to go out and do wicked. This is not saying God has approved us to go and do evil in our lives and approve everything we desire to do. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that God has given us and approved of us to enjoy life. To enjoy the life he has given us. It says, eat your bread with joy. The, the filling of it, the, the, you know, fill our bellies rightly and enjoy the food that God has given us. If any of you have eaten pizza with me so far, you know I cannot pray and say, God, nourish our bodies with pizza. The, the men have experienced this. I know the hides have it, a few others. Uh, I, I can't do it because pizza doesn't nourish our bodies. It's great. But I can't eat it and thank God for it to enjoy it, to enjoy Him through it. So let us eat our bread with joy. Let us drink our wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let us enjoy the things God has given us in this world, that he has declared good and gifts from him. Namely, food and life, fellowship with one another. Let us enjoy these things. But he goes on to elaborate here in verses 8 through 10. What, what are we to enjoy? Verse 8, let your garments be always white. Let not oil lacking on your head. 
this reference is kind of lost on us culturally because it gets distinguished in a culture. So in the Old Testament, especially, and, and over times, to mourn and weep, you would put on ashes and sackcloth, ragged clothing in a form of repentance and sorrow. But God is calling the, the people here, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. In other words, put on your tuxes, put on your dance shoes, and go out and enjoy life. That's what he's saying here. I stole that from Philip Wright. Um, give him credit for it, because that did not come as far as to, to make that connection. But that's what's being told here. We enjoy life by enjoying the things God has given us. I know Baptists are, are funny on dancing and, and different things, but brothers and sisters, there is nothing wrong. David danced. Let us enjoy the life and the good things of it that God has already declared right. Verse 9 goes on Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion of life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Others, those of us who are husbands, catch this. We're called to enjoy our wife. To enjoy is not to simply tolerate them, but to enjoy being with them, spending time with them, listening to them, caring for them, to enjoy them for who they are. And why is the same thing be said for you in return? The call is for us to enjoy that type of intimate relationship with one another while in. It's special. I just enjoy it. No, in heaven we will not be given in our marriages. We will not still be married to our spouse then. But here in the now, in this life, we are called to enjoy it. To enjoy it. To enjoy one another. That's a precious thing. This is what is being approved. This is the things we are to do. To enjoy the life that God has given us. That's our toil. Look at verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Now I know in this room we have people in, in different stages of life. From those still in school to, to those who are in the working world to those that are retired. But the reality is we all still have work to do. We all still have a job. Being a dad of a little girl, we watch lots of, of little kids' shows around our house. One of the favorite ongoing is a show from Australia called Bluey. In one of the episodes of Bluey, the dad is playing with his two uh, daughters. Uh, this is a dog family. Uh, mom, dad, Bingo, and Bluey. And the dad is playing with Bingo and Bluey on the trampoline. And then he says, I've got to go to work. The kids put up a fit, try to delay dad going to work. Finally, he tells he's got to go to work, and, and so this is the oldest daughter, Bluey. And this shock comes across the face. What do you mean, work? You have a job to do. Making up your games is your job. Whatever season of life we're in, we have jobs to do. For some of us, it may mean getting up and going to the office. 
For kids, it may mean just going to school and making up games and having fun, enjoying being a kid. For those that are retired, your job may involve babysitting grandkids, great-grandkids. It may involve just spending time with one another and caring and looking out for one another, using that time uh, to, to build those relationships, to nourish them. That is your job, just like this is mine. Therefore, let us do it with all of our might and all of our strength. This is what is approved by God, to do it all for his honor and glory, whatever he has given us. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of death being the final end, we are not called to sink back and fret. We're called to live. We're called to live wisely in light of the end, but we're called to live life now by enjoying God and the gifts he has given to us. Let us not be consumed with worrying what may or may not come in the future, but let us live enjoying life. Because I tell you, the outside world watching us, what do they see when they see people who are supposed to have the most hope down in despair? What do they see when they see people who are joyous and enjoying all that God has given? Enjoying life, enjoying one another. Our biggest witness is how we live our lives and what we find our joy in. Let us see if we can rest in the hand of God and find comfort. He is our shepherd and he's not going to let go of us. We're going to be able to delight in him forever. Even in the midst of sorrow and despair, we can say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why? Because we're in the hand of God, if we're in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, thank you for, for Ecclesiastes 9. Thank you for me being able to get my thoughts on the paper and then out. Father, because that was a struggle this week. Lord, I, I pray that we would see namely you throughout. Father, help us to rest mighty in the hands of God, but you and find comfort in that. Help us to live and enjoy the things you give us by enjoying you in it. We pray against all of us in the name of Christ our King.